0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step by step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com/ra to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com/ra or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey friends and neighbors, you're listening to the Well Rested podcast, episode number 20. What to do when you've had a bad night? Insomnia is an inevitable part of the human experience. So whether you are in the throes of a chronic battle of sleeplessness, Experiencing a bump in the road to sleep recovery, or just having a rare one-off bad night, what are you supposed to do? In this episode, I'll be discussing an appropriate response to the inescapable bad night of sleep. Newborns and early infants are just getting used to the idea of light and dark cycles, and it takes many weeks before they start to really tune in to the timing of wake and sleep. And even then, as every parent knows, not every nap or bedtime goes according to plan. School-age children may be too excited to get enough sleep the night before Christmas or a highly anticipated vacation. Teens and students may be unable to sleep right before a pivotal test or a paper is due. Adults dealing with stress at work, with loved ones, with kids that won't seem to sleep like they're supposed to, or trying to handle the ongoing stress of pandemic ravaging the health of our economy and our bodies. Every single one of us will have a bad night of sleep. It is unavoidable. It's part of being human. Our bodies and minds are built to survive long enough to reproduce, not to excel at sleeping. That leads to trade-offs, some necessary, many not so much. If you were being actively hunted, would it make sense to lie still, unconscious, and vulnerable for hours at a time? Most certainly not. But while the day-to-day experience of 21st century humans is far different than the cauldron of dangers our reptilian and mammalian forebears are forged in, nonetheless, we still have the same built-in programming. There's an app in your brain whose function it is to protect you against threats, the kind of threats that cause stress, whether or not you are actually being hunted or your life is literally on the line. And this app hasn't seen an update, that scrubs harmful overreactions to stressors that aren't necessarily life-threatening. So in reaction to fear, dread, anticipation, excitement, aggravation, ecstasy, in reaction to emotions that e-motivate us out of stillness and rest and back into motion, sleep is compromised for the sake of perceived self-protection. And an isolated bad night here or there isn't necessarily that bad. Sally had a meltdown since the pediatrician's appointment caused her to miss her regular nap. Timmy had the grumbles near the end of his birthday party because he fell asleep two hours later than usual due to excitement about the event. And the next day, back to business as usual. So how is it that some people, especially children, are able to just move on like nothing happened? Routine. Habit. Stable, consistent behaviors that support quality sleep. As adults, some of us have the bad habit of trying to fix everything the moment anything is out of order. And when it comes to a poor night of sleep, especially many consistently poor nights of sleep, our fixes often end up functioning as anti-fixes. Efforts to compensate for a bad night, undertaken with nothing but the best intentions, end up making the problem worse. Typically, by making it more likely we will suffer a subsequent bad night. Sometimes it's an act the very same night. Sometimes it's adjusting the timing to try to squeeze out a little more sleep by spending more time in bed. Sometimes it's by changing what we do the next day to either catch up on sleep or try to stay more awake. The primary model we clinicians use to understand insomnia focuses on this group of behaviors, what are known as perpetuating factors, actions taken in response to a bad night of sleep that make future bad nights of sleep even more likely contrary to the initial intention. And tackling these kinds of compensatory behaviors is the most effective way to cure chronic insomnia. And avoiding these kinds of compensatory behaviors in the first place in response to bad night is the best way to ensure one bad night doesn't evolve into chronic insomnia. So back to the initial question. What do you do when you've had a bad night? The same thing we've been talking about throughout this podcast. The fundamentals of good sleep health should not be abandoned in reaction to a hiccup. To the contrary, the fundamentals are more important than ever when there's been a hiccup. These fundamentals include timing. Get up and out of bed at the same time every day, no matter how much or little sleep was achieved the night before. The rationale? Your circadian rhythm. The body's internal clock is malleable. And when you try to sleep in and get up later after a bad night, you end up forcing a delay in your body's internal rhythm, which delays what time your body will be ready to sleep the upcoming night, i.e., your body won't want to sleep at the desired bedtime since you slept in. The more you also delay bedtime readiness. Circadian influences are many, but the most potent is light, especially that first light exposure after sleep. But having the curtains open in your bedroom while you hit snooze a bazillion times is not the same is eyes-open exposure to full spectrum of bright morning light or artificial substitutions, as may be the case in winter months. And not just light, but when your muscles start to be active, when you eat or drink and digest, when you use the restroom, when you are social. All these and more can be affected negatively when we try to sleep in later after a bad night. And all those small nudges away from your typical circadian rhythm end up causing greater and greater misalignment between your new reset internal clock and the world around you. So get up at the same time. Even though you are tired, your body will thank you for sparing it the struggle over days to weeks in exchange for just one tired day. Avoid daytime napping. This is crucial for supporting the other main driver of our sleep and wake cycles in addition to your body's internal clock. What is known as the sleep drive? sometimes called the homeostatic drive or process S, this is the building pressure to sleep that depends on consecutive wake time. I discussed some of the underlying biology of this in episode 14 when talking about how caffeine works. The longer you've been awake consecutively, the stronger the force of the building pressure of adenosine is within the brain. When this pressure of adenosine has reached a climax, your body is practically unable to fight off the urge, the biological need to sleep. But every little wink of sleep, every nap, every off-schedule episode of sleep drains away the brain's ability to sleep that night as desired, lowers the drive and biological ability to sleep the next time if not enough time has lapsed in between. So for instance, if you wake up at 6am, take the kids to school, get back at 8.30 and crash on the couch for 20 minutes, there hasn't been a whole lot of sleep pressure build up over those two and a half hours and still plenty of time between the couch snooze and your regularly scheduled bedtime that night. But if you come home from work at 5.30pm and crash on the couch, now that big mountain of sleep pressure that would otherwise be ready to give you high quality sleep at night when your internal clock is aligned for it, instead, the peak of the mountain has been cropped. There's less pressure, less drive, less biological need to sleep when you want, and when your internal clock is expecting at your typical bedtime. The result? more onset insomnia. This is not to say that napping is evil. For instance, napping can literally be a lifesaver for those who are starting to feel tired while driving. A 10-15 to minute cat nap when pulled off the road can literally save your life by preventing you from becoming another statistic in the 30-plus thousand victims who die in motor vehicle crashes each year in the U.S. due to drowsy driving. But, after preschool, napping is not normal. And afternoon napping to try to make up for a bad night of sleep the night before will only make it more likely you will have a second bad night of sleep. So timing clearly is important here. Bad night? Same wake-up time. Bad night? Don't pentil in some afternoon nap time. And I don't really want to go off on yet another rant about light exposure. You can hear plenty of that by revisiting episodes 4, 5, 11, 12, 13, for instance. But I just want to reinforce that when you are smack dab in the midst of a bad night, a time of night when normally your room is pitch black, eyes are closed, and your brain is not being bombarded, that is absolutely not the time to expose yourself to large amounts of light. Why? Light is alerting. Light is activating. And depending on precisely what time the exposure is in relation to your body clock's set midpoint, the push or pull on shifting your internal clock is incredibly stronger than light in the evening or upon waking. The closer to the middle of your sleep you experience light, the more powerfully it will ruin your internal clock and upcoming days of sleep. Put another way, if you cannot sleep, and at any point during your normal sleep period, you turn on a bunch of lights in your home, turn on the TV, or God forbid, look at a mobile screen like phone or tablet, you are far more likely to either not be able to fall asleep initially till much later the next night, or wake up much earlier than you want to the next day, or possibly both. That's in addition to reinforcing and augmenting your current degree of wide awakeness in the middle of the night. If you are having a bad night, avoid the screens like a plague. That is nothing but a recipe for more bad nights. Screens when you should be asleep? Stronger and stronger that insomnia creep. Too much light in the middle of the night ensures your future sleeps right. So if you find yourself in the midst of a bad night and can't fall asleep initially, or fall back asleep, then get out of bed. Go to another room. Engage in something dark, sedentary, and boring. In other words, do something that will help promote calm and rest, not breed arousal and agitation. And when you feel ready, get back in bed. If you don't ever feel ready, that's okay too. Start your day at the same time and in the same way as you normally would. You'll be more tired than usual, but that's okay. Engage in the same routines throughout the day and evening as you normally would. You might be a little bit more irritable and fatigued, but that's okay. That last night of bad sleep or less sleep than usual? All that means is that you cleared away less sleep drive than usual, meaning there is even a greater sleep drive and biological pressure to sleep than usual left over and waiting to be put to good use in the service of your high-quality sleep. And as long as your circadian rhythm has not been pulled all out of whack, you will feel even more ready to sleep than usual at your typical bedtime and the depth and quality of that next night of sleep will be even more glorious than usual, all thanks to that prior bad night of sleep when you stuck to the basic fundamentals of good sleep health. I've created a wonderful freebie for you, so if you head over to wellrestedmd.com day, you can get a free cheat sheet to a day in the life of the well-rested, including specific best practices to get that good snooze. That's wellrestedmd.com day. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes, leave a review, and head on over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.